This morning, we are wrapping up our Voices series where we've had four different guests to Redemption Hill to share God's Word. These are leaders from across New England serving in a variety of capacities. And as much as I love Steve, John, and Jason, I just need a moment of full transparency and vulnerability here. I am most excited about this morning, all right? Uh, this is my new friend, Gordon McDonald. Gordon and his wife, Gail, have served New England churches for over five decades. And uh, just amazing. I get chills as I say that because, uh, yes, thank you. We just sing a commitment, a prayer to God forever all my days. Hallelujah. That our lives would be an offering of praise to God. And in these two fine people, Gordon and Gail, they have exemplified faithfulness first and foremost to God, secondly to one another, and third to God's people, the church. And Gordon has indirectly influenced my life in, in countless ways because two of my mentors have been mentored by this man of God. And so I want to pray over him. But before I do, just one more time, can we welcome Gordon and Gail McDonald? All right, come on up here, brother. I want to pray. I want to pray over you. Uh, God, we're, we're so honored to have such honored guests with us today, Lord, who love you, who have given their lives to you in a sacrificial offering so that more and more and more people across New England and the world could know you and grow in you. God, we, we thank you for their ministry. God, we thank you for the years of, of serving and counseling and preaching. God, we thank you for, for the, the more than a dozen, I think it's maybe 20 books that Gordon and Gail have authored and just the ways that you have used their writing, their ministry to bless people truly all over the world. And uh, God, we're honored that they would take the time this morning to serve our church family and so, God, we pray not only for Gordon as uh, he needs your Holy Spirit as much today as he ever did, uh, but, God, we need your Holy Spirit as well to receive what you want to speak to us uh, this morning by your Spirit, by your Word. So give us ready hearts to hear and respond as you lead us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Gordon, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. I've looked forward, along with Gail, to being with you today since the invitation uh, to do this came some time ago. You give me a minute to get used to the sound of my voice. Uh, we've, we've been singing our hearts out, and now we have to do a bit of listening. Sometime, a long time ago, a person approached me and said, I have a question. Who are the people who, through your lifetime, have made the highest and deepest contributions to help you come to be the kind of person you are? Well, that question refers that I've become a person that's worth talking about, but we won't go into that. But his question sparked a curiosity in me that goes on to this day. Gail and I are both 83 years of age, so we're probably the oldest people in the room by a considerable distance. We're in that portion of life where you start looking back over the years and saying, 
What were the big road events that got us where we are? How did God speak to us? Where were the mistakes that we regret? Where are the blessings that God gave to us without condition? So that question fits. Who were some of the people who got you here to be the kind of person you are today? You might want to fool with that question, and maybe you'll discover, as I discovered over a period of time, it's an interesting search. Some might say, well, there are hundreds of people who have made various contributions. So let's agree that we probably have been the product of hundreds of people who have made contributions in our lives. But, but what if you limited it down to just nine or 10? Who are the nine or 10 men and women that I've known over the years who have said and done and changed in one way or the other? And as a result, God has allowed you to become the kind of person you are today. I want to tell you a bunch of stories this morning about myself. But before I get to the stories that center on me, let me take you to one typical story in the Bible, which illustrates the question that that man was asking when he asked, who are the people? The Bible is filled with very interesting encounters between men and women, older and younger, richer and poor, who met one another, and, and when the meeting happened, something powerful happened. God did a great work in their life. There's Moses and Joshua. There's Esther and Mordecai. There's Elijah and there's Elisha. There's Paul and therefore Timothy. There's Jesus and the 12 disciples. Every one of those stories illustrates the same point that one of the two people, or in the last case, one to the 12, poured into the life of the other person something that left that person never again the same. When Gail and I got here this morning, they were putting up the signs that transformed this place from being a school to a church. And I noticed that word empowered, that precious word which is very dynamic, who are the people who have empowered you and me to be the persons that we are? In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 3, there's the story of the empowerment of Samuel. You probably studied that story if you ever did Sunday school. It starts the story of Samuel and has a newborn baby in the arms of his mother. It goes on to the tabernacle in those days where Israel came to worship to a very corrupt, unlikable man whose name was Eli. But the politics of the time had made it possible for him to be the, the high priest in the tabernacle. But people didn't have much use for him. He was a terrible father, for one thing. Then there's this young boy, Samuel, who comes to the temple uh, to be educated in the ways of the temple, the notion being that someday he probably will take the place of Eli or any of the others. So you have this story. Let me read two or three verses to you and make appropriate comments. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. What's the writer saying here? He's saying there were very few women and men 
who had any kind of word that you would say, this is a word from God. So when Samuel is this boy in the temple, there's nobody really to look to. There certainly is Eli. One of the things I would wish for your congregation is that you already have people in place who are empowering one another, who make contributions to each other's lives. That's what the writer is saying here. The text goes on, and this is why I've always loved this story. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that hardly could see, he was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. In other words, it wasn't too late at night. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Special moment. Big things about to happen. God speaks to this young boy. Samuel answered the Lord, here I am. And he said to Eli, he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you've called me. But Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. And so he went and lie down, lay down. <clears throat> I used to love this story as a small boy. The notion that your parents are fast asleep in the house and only you are up wandering around, no one to tell you what to do. I get those kind of reminders when I read this story. Again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli a second time. Here I am, did you call me? My son Eli said, and you could add in here, you're not allowing me to get my sleep. I didn't call, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not know, he hadn't been taught enough yet that God was speaking to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. And then Eli realized that God was calling Samuel. And we'll stop right there. I love that story because it gives me a perfect illustration of how one generation empowers another. Samuel will never hear God's word unless God breaks through and uses Eli, the corrupt man, to finally speak to Samuel. It's a wonderful story. And Samuel goes on from this moment into his adulthood and becomes one of the most powerful prophets in all the life of Israel in the years to come. Now, I use that story simply to introduce to you as me to remind us that God is constantly calling new generations to make a difference that wasn't made in the previous generation. You are a group of people here this morning for whom God must have great plans in the years to come. But the question is, as the time goes by, how many different ways will God speak into the lives of people who are sitting here today? And how does he do it? Well, let me give you some stories about myself and give you an idea of how he did it in my generation. You'll see on the screen as we go now, nine different kinds of people who spoke into my life personally at various stages in my growth from the age of three or four to where Gail and I are today at the age of 83. There were certain events down through those years that happened suddenly, without warning, through sometimes people we didn't even know. But when that encounter happened, 
everything changed. And we became different people with a different sense of mission than we had before. The first of those people in my life was the person I've named on the screen, the storyteller. She was a single woman, probably in her middle years at the time. I don't remember guessing at that. I, on the hand, was age four or five. The reason I remember this woman so vividly was that every week she opened her home to a group of children like me. And she would tell us stories from the Bible. She would tell us one story after another. And over the space of two and a half or three years, she taught us virtually every important Bible story in both the Older Testament and the New Testament. We not only learned to hear the stories, but we acted the stories out as she told them. For example, if it was the story of Jesus in the boat with the disciples and the storm was blowing up and the disciples are crying out in fear, I got to be Jesus. I was the one that stood up in the back of the boat and said, peace, be still. And everything got quiet. You say, why did you get that privilege for? Well, I was the pastor's son. So everybody thought that it was important for me to be Jesus, and I just loved that. She told us the story of David and Goliath. Goliath, this gigantic man, and David, who selects the stones and knocks them to the ground and solves the problem of this great threat. She told us the story of Moses leading Israel through the Red Sea. Guess who got to be Moses? That woman became one of the most important human beings in all of my 80-plus years of life. I learned more about the stories and the characters of the Bible from her over those years than anything I ever learned in graduate school or even later years in church. She had a love for children and an ability to tell a story that just left you dazzled. And none of us children could afford to miss those Wednesday afternoons in her home. We just reveled in the stories that she told us. Not only did she tell us the stories of the Bible characters, but she always had a missionary story. And we heard all the stories of men and women and families down through the centuries who carried the gospel of Jesus out into the larger world to other races and cultures. So much of my Christian education came at the age of four, five, and six because there was a woman that heard the call of God to teach children. Some of you could be a person like that, man or woman both, not understanding until someone challenged you that the education of children in a church may be one of the most important single things a church ever does to make sure that it's children know the stories. To this day, whenever I preach in various places, I am mindful that the best illustrations that I can use as a speaker always come from the lives of the Older Testament, New Testament men and women. I'm thankful for this woman who believed that I needed to know the stories of the Bible, and I challenge you to consider that. The second person in my life who empowered me was an older woman, I guess I could call her by her name. She was my grandmother. She lived not far from where my family and I lived, and I spent a lot of time in her home. My grandmother was a tough lady. 
She loved me, there was no doubt about that. But she didn't allow for any nonsense. She was going to make sure that I grew up to be some kind of man who followed after God. So when I went to her house, there was a whole set piece of things we did in the same order. In the morning, the first thing we do is get up and we would have the same kind of breakfast. Toast and honey, toast and honey. Then she would take out the Bible and together we would read a whole several chapters in the New Testament. The whole book of Colossians or the whole book of Philippians or the book of James. And I can remember those moments because I was a small child and I was bored stiff, but grandma said, you have to listen to this. And she would read and read and read. And then she would say when she finished the book of First Thessalonians, isn't that a wonderful book God has given to us? And I'd say, yes, Grandma, it's a wonderful book. She'd say, well, then don't you want to read it through another book? Yes, Grandma, we'll read another book. Then there came the prayer time, and we prayed for about 30 minutes. My grandmother was a deep advocate of praying for missionaries all around the world, but especially in Europe. And these were the days of World War II, where America was fighting Germany. And Grandma would say to me, I'm now about five years of age, son, you must pray for the children of Israel, excuse me, the children of Germany. They're starving. They've lost their homes. Many of them have lost their parents. You must pray for them every day. And Grandma would teach me how to look at the map of Europe and memorize all the cities, all the rivers, all the language groups. She wanted me at the age of five to pray for the children of Germany and Italy and other places. And I learned how to do that. You know what? Years and years and years, some 65, 70 years later, Gail and I started making trips every year to Germany to speak to the church groups that are making witness in Germany in these days. And if I was speaking to a crowd of people I didn't know, I would always begin this way. I'd say, how many of you are here are my age? And all across the audience, there would be men and women who would lift their hand. And I would say to them, well, I want you to know that when our countries were at war, I prayed for you. I prayed that you would have enough food to eat. I prayed that your home would get repaired. I prayed as a small child that you would find your parents and that they wouldn't be killed. And when I said those things all across the audience, you could see people with tears flowing down their cheeks as they thought about the idea that a child prayed for them some 65 or 70 years ago. My grandmother not only taught me a lot about Europe and, and things like missionaries, but my grandmother wanted me to love the world. She lived in Brooklyn, New York, and in the afternoons, we would go to the city and she would show me things, the parks, the skyscrapers. We toured all the museums, all the landmarks, and she would teach me about each one, the architects who made those monuments, the people who painted those pictures, the musicians who played that music, she wanted me to know it all. I thank God for a grandmother who wanted me to learn about the world, and she would say to me, always look for the glory of God in everything in the city. See a beautiful building? 
Ask yourself what the architect was trying to say. See a beautiful painting? What do you know about the artist that painted it? On and on we'd go, and many, many years later, when Gail and I pastored a church in the heart of New York City, I knew the city like the back of my hand because I learned it at the age of five from a grandmother who empowered me to learn how the world worked. Well, I had a woman who taught me the scriptures. I had a grandmother who taught me about the larger world. Let me tell you about a third person. This was a man. He was my track and field coach when I went away to boarding school. He was a godly man. He knew how to bring the best out in his athletes. Now, I went off to boarding school thinking I was going to be a football player. I thought my 135 pounds would count for something. The second day I got there, I learned about pain in football. And I deserted rather quickly. I didn't want to do anything painful. About that second or third day, the football coach called the track coach. He said, I've got a young man over here who doesn't like football very much. I'm going to ship him over. I'm going to trade him to your track team for nothing. So I found myself running for the track team. And for some reason or other, this coach began to see that I just might have a future as an athlete. He taught me the finer instincts of how to run and to get the best out of your body. I remember after about six or eight weeks of competition, he invited me to his home one night for dinner. And he and his wife treated me to a lovely dinner. And then when it was over, he reached behind him and he took off the bookshelf a notebook. And I noticed right away my name written across the top cover. He opened it up to the back page and I read June 1957. That was almost 45 months in the future. And on that page were a list of highly competitive races on the East Coast that he thought I might get ready to run three years in the future. I'd like you to run in that race, he said. I'd like you to compete here. I'd like you to compete here. I looked at those races and their titles and the time he expected me to be running three years from now. I said, coach, I will never run that fast. He said, watch. And he started going backwards from the back page toward the front. And on every page was a week between now and 48 months from now and the times that he expected me to run each week as he trained me, and my body and my mind became more and more willing to make the investment to run those races at that time. I remember thinking to myself that day as I went home, this man believes in me. He believes in me. He sees a future in me. He doesn't see me as I am today. He sees me as I'm going to be tomorrow. All I have to do is follow him, and it will make all the difference. It's wonderful when you have a person who empowers you by investing in you, as Jesus invested in his disciples and the others did. So I thank that coach because he began to teach me how to look into the future, how to dream about great possibilities, how to discipline myself so that I would meet the challenges that he laid down for me day after day. Right behind that coach and the woman who told the story 
and the grandmother who taught me about the larger world was another man that I met in my early days at the university. He rented a room in his apartment that I could stay in. But as we got to acquainted with each other, he said to me, now I want you to know, Gordon, I'm not just renting you a room, but I take it that if you want to come and live here, you will allow me to teach you how to be a Christian gentleman. You say that God wants you someday to be a preacher. Well, you have a lot of things to learn. You must be the kind of person that others will want to have around so that they will listen to you. So I'm not only going to rent you a room, I'm going to teach you how to be a man. What an interesting idea. There's a lot of us in our early years, women and men both, who need to have someone who teaches us how to grow up. I had no idea where this guy was going to take me, but I soon learned. He would say to me, Gordon, a Christian gentleman pays all of his bills on time. He's not late. Gordon, a Christian gentleman washes the dishes at the end of a meal. He just doesn't leave them in his sink. Gordon, a Christian man puts the potty seat down when he's through with the bathroom. And on and on I went like this. All these things that I'd never learned as a young man, but would have to learn if God was to use me someday as one of those that would preach his gospel. I came to love that man very deeply because he was willing to teach me even the simple things about life that make you become acceptable, a person willing that people will be willing to follow and listen to. Without him, a lot of things in my life would just never have happened. Right behind the woman who taught the stories, and the grandmother who taught me about the larger world, and the coach who taught me how to be an athlete, and the man who taught me how to be a Christian gentleman, assuming I was one, came a couple who lived down the block from my university apartment. He was a Presbyterian pastor, and she his wife. And we would say hello to each other as I passed their house on my way to class each day. Then one day we got to talking, the three of us, the husband, the wife, and me. And one of them said to me, why don't you come to our house tomorrow night for dinner? We'd love to have you as our guest. Well, if you're a university student and you don't eat much, an invitation like that, well, it takes about five seconds to pray about and you say yes. So some nights later, having accepted that invitation, I went to their home. We sat at the elegant table in the dining room, and Helen, the wife and mother, put the meat and the vegetables and everything on the table, and the food was delicious. But what surprised me that I wasn't ready for was watching these two people relate to each other. The way she just plain loved him, asking him questions, encouraging him, making sure that she, he knew how much he, he meant to her and how interesting it was to watch him treat his wife with such dignity and affection, to honor her, to ask her questions. And I watched the banter that went on between the two of them as they had a ball in each other's presence. I'd never seen that before. I came from a home where my parents probably should not have gotten married in the first place. 
there was very little happiness in the home that I grew up in. I'd never learned how to treat a woman with dignity and reverence. I'd never been able to learn how, up to that point, to say, I love you and how great you are and what you mean to me and what would you do with this? And I watched this couple interact with each other. <clears throat> and when the evening was over, they said something like, why don't you come back and eat with us again in a week? I said yes, and I went again, not to eat the food, but to watch the way these two people treated each other. It was an education I'd never had before. Without it, I would have been a disaster as a husband. But watching these two, and I went back again and again, and they empowered me, to use that word again, they empowered me to be a husband and a father someday. I remember one night walking home from their home after an experience like this, and I'm thinking about what I've seen that evening and what the conversation has been like and how the two of them have, have dealt so honorably with each other. And I said to myself, if I ever get to be married, I want a wife just like her. And if I ever get to be married, I want to be a husband just like him. If I ever get married, I want to have a marriage that's like theirs. You see how things work when people empower each other? When someone pours their life into another person, things begin to change. So there's a woman who teaches me the stories of the Bible and lays the groundwork for me to be a preacher of the Bible. There's a grandmother who teaches me the wonders of speaking into the larger world and appreciating its beauty and its need for the gospel. There's a track coach that trains me to be an athlete and to discipline myself. There's a Christian gentleman who teaches me how to carry myself with dignity. There's a couple that teaches me how to love another person for a long life of marriage. Every one of these people has empowered me. But let me tell you about another person. He was a professor in graduate school. He was a person who was determined that I would learn the disciplines of education, to sharpen my mind, to do and learn and have a love for the books and for people smarter than me who could teach me how to get along in this world. He was not afraid to be tough with me because to empower people is not just always just to say nice things, but sometimes the tough thing needs to be said. Sometimes a person needs to hear things they don't want to hear, but if they are to grow up through the decades of life, and if they are to be the woman or the man that God can use, sometimes there needs to be tough encounters where all you do is listen for your own good to what someone older or deeper than you are has to say. I can remember this professor saying to me things like, you know, Gordon, sometimes you're not a man of your word. You promise things, but you don't live them. You know, Gordon, you're not a very thankful person. You just assume that people will be kind and give you what you want, but you never say thank you. You know, Gordon, you're the kind of person who has to learn how to bring the best out in other people and to listen to them. You're not a good listener. Little hints, little teachings like that 
sometimes painful, sometimes hard to hear. But every one of us needs the empowering presence of a woman or a man who sometimes will say the tough things to you. Hear Jesus saying to Simon Peter when Simon Peter says the wrong thing, get behind me, Satan. You don't know the words of God. You only know the words of man. I can tell you over my years of life, I've had a skillzillion number of occasions where somebody who loved me enough had to say the most difficult things to bring correction to my life. Without those correctors, there's not going to be much growth in the years when you need it the most. So if there's a woman who teaches me the Bible, and there's a woman, my grandmother, who teaches me about the larger world, if there's a coach who teaches me how to the disciplines of an athlete, if there's a man who teaches me the way of a Christian gentleman, if there's a couple that teaches me how to love one another dearly, if there's a professor who will say tough things so that I will begin to understand the importance of going in the right direction, then let me tell you about one more person. I must quickly say to you by introduction to the last one, she is the only person in that whole group of people who's alive today. All the rest have gone on to heaven. They're with the Lord today. But I have memories of each of them, the importance they played in my life. And I wonder, as I get ready to tell you about the last person, who are the people in your life who are like the ones that I had in mind? The last person in that group that I've mentioned this morning is my wife, Gail. I met Gail, or Gail met me, almost 62, 63 years ago, in the month of February 1961. We knew literally within hours that something magic was going on. Four weeks after we met, we were engaged, and four or five months later, we were married. And that's the long story of all those years. Gail was one of those people who walked into my life with a powerful ability to empower through encouragement, to be the kind of person that is able to spot the places where God is working in your life. After we'd been dating about three or four weeks, we went one night to a church meeting, and I was to be the preacher that night. Gail had never heard me preach yet. And so she sat on the front row on the right-hand side with her Bible and her notebook, thinking that this was probably going to be the greatest sermon the world has ever heard. There were a few dozen other people there that night that were willing to stand the pain of listening to me, but I preached my heart out. And when I was through, the room slowly emptied as people left out the back doors to go home until there was just Gail and me. Even as I describe this to you right this very moment, I can see it vividly in my own head as if it's a television video. I see Gail walking toward me. And when she reaches the place where I'm at, she puts her arms around me and pulls me in close. She puts her cheek close to mine. And I hear her say into my ear, these are the words, God has given me a vision tonight of the kind of preacher he's going to make you into someday. 
Listen to those words a second time. God has given me a vision tonight of the kind of man he's going to make you into, the preacher he's going to make you into. I am not ashamed to say to you this morning that those words made me a preacher for the next 60 years. It was Gail's ability to see the beauty of God's handiwork in things which other people might have disdained or had nothing to do with. But when she entered your world, you knew quickly you were going to hear a word from God before long. And that night, that's what I heard. And I've looked over these years of preaching the gospel in four different churches, Gail at my side, and realized how important that evening was. If that evening had not come along, who knows where I would be today. But those words were God's words into my heart. Every one of us needs people like those that I've, li I've listed for you. Every one of us need not only to have people who contribute those kind of things into us, but every one of us need to ask ourselves, how do we empower other people in such ways? Who are we pouring ourselves into who in turn then hear the words of Jesus in the purposes of their life? I've just given you an idea of the core of life, of what made me over these years. To the extent that God has allowed Gail and me to do anything of significance, it's been because we had people like that who entered our lives at the right time and the right space. You go back to that story of Eli and Samuel, and you ask yourself, what if Eli, maybe out of jealousy, had failed to tell Samuel how to hear the word of God. Listen to these words again. Eli says, Samuel, it's possible that God is calling you. If he speaks to you again, if he speaks to you again, simply say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so Samuel goes back to his bed. And sure enough, the voice comes from heaven another time. And Samuel says, speak, Lord. Now I know what's going on. Your servant is listening. And Samuel goes on as a young man and then an older man to be probably the most powerful prophet that Israel ever had. Think about this for a moment. If there had never been an Eli, there would never have been a Samuel. And if there had never been a Samuel, there never would have been an Israel. Each one of these people poured themselves, empowered the other person to become, to become something they wouldn't have been otherwise. So let me leave you with this challenge. Who are you mentoring? Where are you making your contributions? Perhaps to someone who's younger or less mature than you are. The future of this church, and I can guess this with a lot of confidence, depends not just simply upon a great pastor and staff, but it depends upon the willingness of people to pour themselves into others who need to hear what they've experienced or have to say. Everyone. And when that gets going, you have a congregation, a church that cannot be stopped. That's my dream for all of you. 
That's my hope, that God will empower you to empower others. And I expect, expect in years to come, as long as God allows me to live, to hear great things from this congregation that has things like that to do. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for making contributions in each of our lives through other people, many of us through our parents, through a grandparent, through an uncle, an aunt, many of us through people that we met in church settings and in Christian organizations. Thank you for people who poured themselves to us while we were in school, helped us to find correction where we needed to grow, helped us to find direction when we needed to hear your will and your purpose. Lord, make this congregation and its pastors powerful people because they know how to empower others. This is my prayer for their pastor and for everyone else. For Jesus' sake, amen. May God bless you.